0: Chapters fourteen and fifteen of the Invisible Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Invisible Man by h g Wells. Chapter fourteen. At Port Stowe. Ten o'clock the next morning found mr Marvel, unshaven, dirty, and travel-stained, sitting with the books beside him and his hands deep in his pockets, looking very weary, nervous, and uncomfortable, and inflating his cheeks at infrequent intervals on the bench outside a little inn on the outskirts of Port Stowe, Beside him were the books, but now they were tied with string. The bundle had been abandoned in the pine-woods beyond Bramblehurst, in accordance with a change in the plans of the invisible man. Mr. Marvel sat on the bench, and although no one took the slightest notice of him, his agitation remained at fever-heat. His hands would go ever and again to his various pockets with a curious nervous fumbling. When he had been sitting for the best part of an hour, however, an elderly mariner, carrying a newspaper, came out of the inn and sat down beside him. "'Pleasant day,' said the mariner. Mr. Marvel glanced about him with something very like terror. "'Very,' he said. "'Just seasonable weather for the time of year,' said the mariner, taking no denial. "'Quite,' said Mr. Marvel. The mariner produced a toothpick, and, saving his regard, was engrossed thereby for some minutes. His eyes, meanwhile, were at liberty to examine Mr. Marvel's dusty figure and the books beside him. As he had approached Mr. Marvel he had heard a sound like the dropping of coins into a pocket. He was struck by the contrast of Mr. Marvel's appearance with this suggestion of opulence. Thence his mind wandered back again to a topic that had taken a curiously firm hold of his imagination. "'Books,' he said suddenly, noisily finishing with the toothpick, Mr. Marvel started and looked at them. "'Oh, yes,' he said. "'Yes, they're books.' "'There's some extraordinary things in books,' said the Mariner. i believe you,' said Mr. Marvel. "'And some extraordinary things out of them,' said the Mariner. "'True, likewise,' said Mr. Marvel. He eyed his interlocutor, and then glanced about him. "'There's some extraordinary things in newspapers, for example,' said the Mariner. "'There are.' "'In this newspaper,' said the Mariner. "'Ah,' oh, said Mr. Marvel. "'There's a story,' said the Mariner, fixing Mr. Marvel with an eye that was firm and deliberate. "'There's a story about an invisible man, for instance.' Mr. Marvel pulled his mouth askew, and scratched his cheek, and felt his ears glowing. "'What will they be right next?' he asked faintly. "'Austria or America?' "'Neither,' said the Mariner. "'Here?' lo said mr marvel starting when i say here said the mariner to mr marvel's intense relief i don't of course mean ear in this place i mean hereabouts an invisible man said mr marvel and what's he been up to everything said the mariner controlling marvel with his eye and then amplifying every blessed thing i ain't seen a paper these four days said marvel ipens the place he started at said the mariner indeed said mr marvel he started there and where he came from nobody don't seem to know here it is peculiar story from ipin and it says in this paper that the evidence is extraordinary strong extraordinary Law, said mr marvel but then it's an extraordinary story there's a clergyman and a medical gent witnesses saw em all right and proper or well, leastways didn't see him. He was staying, it says, at the coach and horses, and nobody don't seem to have been aware of his misfortune. It says, aware of his misfortune, until in an altercation in the inn, it says, his bandages on his head was torn off. It was then observed that his head was invisible. Attempts were at once made to secure him, but casting off his garments, it says, he succeeded in escaping but not until after a desperate struggle, in which she had inflicted serious injuries, it says, on our worthy and able constable, Mr. J. A. Jeffers. Pretty straight story, eh? Named in everything. "'Law!' said Mr. Marvel, looking nervously about him, trying to count the money in his pockets by his unaided sense of touch, and full of a strange and novel idea. "'Sounds most astonishing.' "'Don't it? Extraordinary, I call it. "'Never heard tell of invisible men before, I haven't, but nowadays one is such a lot of extraordinary things. That—' "'That all he did?' asked Marvel, trying to seem at his ease. "'It's enough, ain't it?' said the Mariner. "'Didn't go back by any chance?' asked Marvel. "'Just escape, and that's all, eh?' All? said the Mariner. "'Why, ain't it enough?' "'Quite enough,' said Marvel. "'I should think it was enough,' said the Mariner.' i should think it was enough he didn't have any pals don't say he had any pals does it asked mr marvel anxious ain't one of the sort enough for you asked the mariner no thank heaven as one might say he didn't he nodded his head slowly makes me regular uncomfortable the bare thought of that chap running about the country he is at present at large and from certain evidence it is supposed that he has taken took i suppose they mean the road to Port Stowe, you see, we're right in it. None of your American wonders this time, and just think of the things he might do. Where you'd be if he took a drop over and above and had a fancy to go for you. Suppose he wants to rob, oh, can prevent him. It can trespass. It can burgle. It can walk through a cord and a policeman as easy as me or you could give the slip to a blind man. Easier, for these here blind chaps here uncommon sharp, I'm told, and wherever there was liquor, he fancied. He's got a tremendous advantage, certainly," said Mr. Marvel. "'And—well—' "'You're right,' said the Mariner. "'He has.' All this time Mr. Marvel had been glancing about him intently, listening for faint footfalls, trying to detect imperceptible movements. He seemed on the point of some great resolution. He coughed behind his hand. He looked about him again, listened, bent towards the Mariner, and lowered his voice. "'The fact of it is—' "'I happen to know just a thing or two about this invisible man, from private sources.' "'Oh?' said the Mariner, interested. "'You?' "'Yes,' said Mr. Marvel. "'Me?' "'Indeed,' said the Mariner. "'And may I ask?' "'You'll be astonished,' said Mr. Marvel, behind his hand. "'It's tremendous.' "'Indeed,' said the Mariner. "'The fact is—' began Mr. Marvel eagerly in a confidential undertone. Suddenly his expression changed marvellously. Ow! he said. He rose stiffly in his seat. His face was eloquent of physical suffering. Wow! he said. What's up? said the mariner, concerned. Toothache! said Mr. Marvel, and put his hand to his ear. He caught hold of his books. I must be getting on, I think, he said. He edged in a curious way along the seat, away from his interlocutor. "'But you was just a going to tell me about this ere invisible man,' protested the mariner. Mr. Marvel seemed to consult with himself. "'Hoax,' said a voice. "'It's a hoax,' said Mr. Marvel. "'But it's in the paper,' said the mariner. "'Hoax all the same,' said Marvel. "'I know the chap that started the lie. There ain't no invisible man whatsoever. Blimey!' "'But how about this paper? Do you mean to say—not a word of it?' said Marvel stoutly. The Mariner stared, paper in hand. Mr. Marvel jerkily faced about. "'Wait a bit,' said the Mariner, rising and speaking slowly. "'Do you mean to say—' "'I do,' said Mr. Marvel. "'Then why did you let me go on and tell you all this blasted stuff, then? What do you mean by letting a man make a fool of himself like that for?' Mr. Marvel blew out his cheeks. The mariner was suddenly very red indeed. He clenched his hands. "'I've been talking here this ten minutes,' he said. "'And you, you little pot-bellied, leathery-faced son of an old boot, couldn't have the elementary manners. Don't you come bendin' words with me?' said Mr. Marvel. "'Bendin' words? I'm a jolly good mind.' "'Come up,' said a voice. And Mr. Marvel was suddenly whirled about and started marching off in a curious, spasmodic manner you better move on,' said the mariner. "'Who's moving on?' said Mr. Marvel. He was receding, obliquely, with a curious hurrying-gait, with occasional violent jerks forward. Some way along the road he began a muttered monologue, protests and recriminations. "'Silly devil,' said the mariner, legs wide apart, elbows akimbo, watching the receding figure. "'I'll show you, you silly ass. Oaks in me!' it's here on the paper mr marvel retorted incoherently and receiving was hidden by a bend in the road but the mariner still stood magnificent in the midst of the way until the approach of a butcher's cart dislodged him then he turned himself towards port Stowe, full of extraordinary asses he said softly to himself just to take me down a bit that was his silly game it's on the paper There was another extraordinary thing he was presently to hear, that had happened quite close to him, and that was a vision of a fistful of money, no less, travelling without visible agency, along by the wall at the corner of St. Michael's Lane. A brother-mariner had seen this wonderful sight that very morning. He had snatched at the money forthwith, and had been knocked headlong, and when he had got to his feet the butterfly money had vanished. Our mariner was in the mood to believe anything, he declared, but that was a bit too stiff. Afterwards, however, he began to think things over. The story of the flying money was true, and all about that neighbourhood, even from the august London and Country Banking Company, from the tills of shops and inns, doors standing that sunny weather entirely open, money had been quietly and dexterously making off that day in handfuls and rouleaux, floating quietly along by walls and shady places, dodging quickly from the approaching eyes of men. And it had, though no man had traced it, invariably ended its mysterious flight in the pocket of that agitated gentleman in the obsolete silk hat, sitting outside the little inn on the outskirts of Port Stowe. It was ten days after, and indeed only when the Burdock story was already old, that the mariner collated these facts, and began to understand how near he had been to the wonderful invisible man. CHAPTER Fifteen, THE MAN WHO WAS RUNNING In the early evening time Dr. Kemp was sitting in his study in the Belvedere on the hill overlooking Burdock. It was a pleasant little room, with three windows, north, west, and south, and bookshelves covered with books and scientific publications, and a broad writing-table, and under the north window a microscope, glass slips, minute instruments, some cultures, and scattered bottles of reagents. Dr. Kemp's solar lamp was lit, albeit the sky was still bright with the sunset light and his blinds were up because there was no offence of peering outsiders to require them pulled down. Dr. Kemp was a tall and slender young man, with flaxen hair and a moustache almost white, and the work he was upon would earn him, he hoped, the fellowship of the Royal Society, so highly did he think of it. And his eye, presently wandering from his work, caught the sunset blazing at the back of the hill that is over against his own. For a minute, perhaps, he sat, pen in mouth, admiring the rich golden colour above the crest. And then his attention was attracted by the little figure of a man, inky black, running over the hill-brow towards him. He was a shortish little man, and he wore a high hat, and he was running so fast that his legs verily twinkled. "'Another of those fools,' said Dr. Kemp. "'Like that arse who ran into me this morning round a corner with the visible man a-comin', sir. I can't imagine what possesses people. One might think we were in the thirteenth century.' he got up went to the window and stared at the dusky hillside and the dark little figure tearing down it he seems in a confounded hurry said dr kemp but he doesn't seem to be getting on if his pockets were full of lead he couldn't run heavier spurted sir said dr kemp in another moment the higher of the villas that had clambered up the hill from burdock had occulted the running figure he was visible again for a moment and again, and then again, three times between the three detached houses that came next, and then the terrace hid him. "'Osses!' said Dr. Kemp, swinging round on his heel and walking back to his writing-table. But those who saw the fugitive nearer, and perceived the abject terror on his perspiring face being themselves in the open roadway, did not share in the doctor's contempt. By the man pounded, and as he ran he chinked like a well-filled purse that is tossed to and fro. He looked neither to the right nor the left, but his dilated eyes stared straight downhill to where the lamps were being lit, and the people were crowded in the street, and his ill-shaped mouth fell apart, and a glary foam lay on his lips, and his breath came hoarse and noisy. All he passed stopped, and began staring up the road and down, and interrogating one another with an inkling of discomfort for the reason of his haste. And then presently, far up the hill, a dog playing in the road yelped and ran under a gate and as they still wondered, something, a wind, a pad-pad-pad, a sound like a panting breathing, rushed by. People screamed, people sprang off the pavement, it passed in shouts, it passed by instinct down the hill. They were shouting in the street before Marvel was half there, they were bolting into houses and slamming the doors behind them with the news. He heard it and made one last desperate spurt. Fear came striding by, rushed ahead of him, and in a moment had seized the town. THE INVISIBLE MAN IS COMING! THE INVISIBLE MAN! End of chapters 14 and 15